Psalm 119. As we continue our summer in the Psalms, we're going to spend um, through the month of August doing these Psalms, and then we'll pick up something new next month. Before we get into the text, some thoughts I had this week after reading through the entirety of Psalm 119 and studying it, and uh, this morning CJ walked in and said, what, what are you preaching today? I said, Psalm 119. I said, go check it out. He came up to his spot, and he came back to me a few minutes later. A couple minutes later, he said, you better have some short points today. <laughs> You're right, CJ, I do have some short points. It is uh, a long chapter. But some thoughts I have kind of before we read it that I think you're going to agree with, as our church I think will agree with this. If we are going to know God, then we must know Him according to His Word. Agree? Our own imagination of who God is is not enough. Our seeing His amazing creation Although that can tell us something about him, now that's not enough to know him fully. We can hear our parents or our pastors or leaders tell us about him, but if what they say is not coming from the word, that's not enough. We must know him as he has revealed himself in the Bible. Secondly, if we're going to worship him, we must worship him according to the word. We cannot worship God according to what we think is right, or according to what, just what we've seen or heard, unless what we've seen and heard is commanded in Scripture. We must know Him and worship Him and serve Him as He has commanded us in the Bible. This is why we often say here, I often say, get into the Word until the Word gets into you. And it's just a, a little saying to remind us, we need to have this word in front of our eyes, in our hearts, that it might stick. And the song we sang a moment ago says, Lord, speak to us. And one line of that song says, plant your word down deep in our hearts. And we need that. We need God's word to be placed into our hearts in such a way that it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, right? We don't want to be just hearers of the word, but doers also. We want the word to come in in such a way that it rearranges our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. And I would even say this, if you receive the word in your own personal reading or sermons or Wednesday night lessons or whatever it is, if you receive the word in some way and it does not rearrange your attitudes, thoughts, and actions, then did you truly receive that word? Because God's word is active, living, and powerful, and when it moves in us and comes into us, it changes things. How many of you, by a show of hands, ate breakfast this morning? I did not. How many of you have plans to eat lunch as soon as we leave here in a few moments? Most everybody. Who's going to eat dinner tonight? Most everybody. Who plans to eat tomorrow? How about Tuesday? Wednesday? Thursday? You get where I'm going. Barring a medical situation or a spiritual fast, every one of us plan to eat every single day for the rest of our lives, don't we? Just, church, just as we need food daily, we need a steady diet 
of God's word in our lives. And I didn't make that up. Jesus is the one who said it. When he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's no way around this for us as Christians. This is why we often preach it. This is why you hear Jason and I and other believers say, you need to get into the word. There's no way around this that God's word is our nourishment. So let me introduce you to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, quickly, a few thoughts about it. It is the longest chapter, CJ, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. It is interesting in that it is in a poem with an acrostic structure, and if you'll look in your Bible there, you might see this. Um, you'll see before verse 1 a word that may look weird to you, Aleph. And before verse 9, you'll see Beth. Before verse 17, Gimel and so on and so forth. These are Hebrew letters. So like we would have A, B, C, D, they have these letters. And so in this psalm, every eight verses is divided up, and the beginning part mentions this, the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, it was actually used to help people memorize the alphabet going through this psalm. Well, most people say King David is the writer. I think there are some good indications of that as well. But the reason I want to focus on it this morning is throughout this psalm, 176 verses, every verse points to something important about God's Word. So much so that we could probably take one verse at a time for the next 176 weeks and dive into each verse. We won't do that, but we could. And so you're going to see words like um, Rules, testimonies, commandments, laws, precepts. And you're going to see as we read through this, these different words that for us all mean God's word. For the psalmist, it meant the law given to Moses, you know, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament. But when we talk about the word, of course, we mean all 66 books of the Bible. Let's go to Psalm 119. I tried to think of a way that we could read the entire chapter this morning, and I couldn't figure out a way. So we're going to read the first eight verses, and then I'm going to reference other verses throughout. So be ready to scroll or flip as we go through the sermon. If you found verse 1, say word. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. When I shall have learned thy righteous judgments, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Let's dive into these thoughts. A couple of thoughts I have this morning from this text. Getting into God's word, and this is kind of my takeaway from reading the whole uh, chapter a couple of times this week. Getting into God's word helps us live a godly life. I don't know if you agree with me. I would say neglecting God's word means it will be 
near impossible to live a godly life or impossible if you neglect it for a long period of time. And again, this is why we encourage each other as believers, as we had our call to worship this morning, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another through the word. This is why in our service, the word is foundational. We typically begin with the scripture and we end with the scripture and a benediction. We sing songs that have scripture in them. We have scripture reading. We read scripture in our children's sermon and our focus of our entire service, I hope, is this preaching time. And our speaker last week kind of joked about our, our pulpit, um, but the point of a, a big pulpit like this, especially historically, was not to lift the preacher up, um, that he might be exalted, but that when you walk into our church, I hope people will see this and say, wow, they place an importance on the word being preached, because they didn't get rid of the, the preaching stuff, it's, it's still here, right? So we exalt this word in this pulpit. If you'll notice, we don't really do anything else in this pulpit except come up here and exalt the word. And so that's what we do. And so apart from the word, we will not know God rightly, worship him rightly, and we will not live rightly. And so the question I want you to ask yourself through this sermon that most of you can already answer, but I want you to think about it again. Why should I make God's word a daily priority? Why should I make God's word a daily priority when life is so busy, I have so many responsibilities at home, at work, activities, hobbies, yard work to do, bills to pay, why must I make it a daily priority? And I hope throughout this next few minutes you'll think about that. Let me give you your main points this morning. Number one, a Christian will have a desire to live a godly life. In my time here as pastor, this is a theme, and I don't know if it was Paul Jr., Ms. Patsy, whether one of you guys said this the first time I think I heard it on a Wednesday night. Somebody said it, don't know who, said something about God putting in us a desire. And every so often we say it again, and we'll say, God gives us, his people, a desire to do the right thing, a desire to come to church, a desire to read his word, a desire to worship him. And that's one of those thoughts that, again, it reverberates in my mind. And as I read through what the psalmist says here in Psalm 119, you see in him a desire to know God's word and obey God's word. And you see... You can't read the psalm, and I encourage you to do so this week, you can't read it without seeing where his priority lies. I think, I think by the way, all our priorities can be gauged pretty simple. And, and we know each other pretty well in here, I think, so we, we pretty much know what people like, right? You can tell by what we put on Facebook, what we spend our money on, what we spend our time doing. You can tell what we like, can't you? And you know what you like yourself. When you lay at bed at night, right before you fall asleep, what are you thinking about? I mean, sometimes it's concerns or worries, but a lot of times I lay at bed at night and I'm thinking, what am I going to do tomorrow at the gym? Because I, just, I enjoy going to the gym, so I just think about it. Sometimes I think about, man, is Mississippi State going to be any good this year? I'm just thinking, I hope we're going to be good. You know, What you think about all the time is probably one of your top priorities. What you spend your money on, what you spend your time on, it's probably one of your top priorities. So my question for us this morning, if we're going to be like this psalmist, our question is, do we 
care about the Lord, and if we do, do we think about Him often? You see, God puts in His redeemed people a desire for the things of God. Think of verse 5. And I like how he says it with exclamation here. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Oh, that my ways. He desires to do right. He desires that his ways would be the ways that God has directed him to do. He desires, again, look at verse 5. That my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. To keep, to follow, to obey, to adhere to. He doesn't just want to know God's word, but again, he wants to do it. I shared this study with some of y'all a while back, but there was a study done on spiritual disciplines. Bible reading, prayer, church attendance. Y'all remember this? We debated it one Wednesday night. It was a good debate. Giving, serving, worshiping. And the study came back and said this, that the most important spiritual discipline anyone can do is Bible intake. And what the study said was, People who read their Bible every day were more likely to pray every day. People who read their Bible every day were more likely to attend church. People who read their Bible every day were more likely not only to attend church, but to serve in the church. And it went on to say people who who read their Bible every day were more likely to confess their sin and, and trust Christ in the everyday things of life. And the point of that study is not to diminish church attendance and prayer. We know those are super important. But the point of it was to show us this. We must bring our attention to this word. Look at verse 11. The psalmist said, and you've heard this verse before, I've treasured or stored up my word or your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's an important reason to putting God's word in our heart. One of those is to help us not sin against him. Just as some of us put food in the freezer, right, for next week or next month or somewhere down the line, we're to put God's word in our heart for whenever it might help us. Skip way over to verse 131. Verse 131, Psalm 119. I like this verse. He says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. When I hear that word panted, I think of another psalm that says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. It's this idea of thirsting for God. Panting, thirsting, having a desire, knowing that you are thirsty and knowing that Christ and our God and his word is the fountain whereby we are quenched. Our thirst is quenched. As a Christian We should have desires like this. And so listen to what I'm about to say. As a Christian, as a person who loves Christ, we should not sit in church bored during a sermon. Even if the pastor is not doing the best job, or he's not the funniest, doesn't have the best stories, not the most jokes, even if his voice isn't as loud as you'd like it or if it's too loud, all of us, myself included when I'm sitting out here, must do our very best by the Spirit of God's help to listen and receive and apply God's Word to our lives. Now, do y'all sit there tired some Sundays? I know you do. 
And if you fall asleep, I don't even, sometimes I don't even blame you. I know life's tough. When I was a younger preacher, I used to get mad at that. Now I'm like, he had a tough week, and he needs a nap. But we should all do our best, right, to receive God's word, right? Look at verse 167. And if you're asleep, wake up, Nick. You good, Nick? Okay. All right, 167. Look at what he says about the word. He says, my soul has kept thy testimonies, and I think they're just okay. Is that what it says? I love them exceedingly. He loves God's word. He loves it. He desires it. He loves it. And I promise you, go read this psalm this week. He, he loves it. It says it more than just once. He loves God, and he loves what God says. And that might seem like, like duh, like, of course we love what God says, but do we really? Because sometimes God says things that we're like, ooh, I don't know, do I have to do that? He says, I love your laws exceedingly. Heard a story this week about a um, Bible class, and this boy got up to walk up to the teacher's desk. It's a Bible class in school. And he had his Bible that they used in the school class. He's walking up to the front, and he drops his Bible on the floor. Just slipped out of his hand, he dropped it. And this girl sitting right there, Turn and she said, I cannot believe you did that. I cannot believe you dropped God's word. How dare you drop that Bible on the floor? And she just like tore into him. And he was like, geez, you know, calm down. The teacher stood up and said, he said, I wish people got that upset when people didn't obey God's word. That was pretty good. Because obviously we want to take care of our copy of God's word, but it's not wrong for me to accidentally drop my Bible, is it? What's wrong is for me to neglect it or disobey it that's what we should get upset over that not over you know what this one looks like necessarily look at verse 147 again i'm just trying to give you a taste of psalm 119 uh, 147 he says i prevented the dawning of the morning and cried i hoped in thy word he and by the way, Jesus does this in the New Testament, gets up before dawn and spends time with the Lord. And the psalmist says that, I rise before dawn, I cry out for help, I hope in your words. He desires God not, he doesn't give God the leftovers of his day, he gives God the first fruits of his day. And I know I'm guilty of this sometimes, a lot of times, right? You wake up and you just got to go, 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 right? A busy day ahead. When we should take a few moments and just hope in the word of the Lord. Now, I want to connect here according to 147, and I see this, by the way, throughout this psalm, connecting prayer and the word. Answer this for me. Can we pray before we read the word? Not only can we, it's a pretty good idea. That's something Jason's taught our kids in the children's sermon, pray before you read the word. Can we pray after we've read the word? That's a good idea, right? Thank God for what we read, ask God to help us obey it, Right? That's a good idea. I'm going to throw you another one. Can we pray while we read the Word? Not only can you, I would recommend it. I would recommend it, and Psalm 119 is a great place. I actually this, had this idea this week as I was studying this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to take those first eight verses and just pray them the first thing tomorrow morning. When I get up Monday morning, Psalm 119, 1 through 8, I'm not just going to read them. I'm going to pray them. Lord, blessed 
are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Lord, help me walk in your law. Blessed are they that keep your testimonies. Lord, help me today to keep your testimonies. And those that seek you with the whole heart. Lord, you know my heart is sometimes here and there. Please direct it toward you this week. And so on and so forth. If you'd like to try that, I would encourage it. You can pray before you read the word. After you read the word, you can pray the word as you read the word. So my point in all this is to say, our desire for God and the things of God will only be fulfilled through his word and through prayer in his word. And do not be that person who spiritually starves themselves. Don't be that person who neglects their own spiritual nourishment by neglecting this word. We will never truly be satisfied. We will never truly be satisfied apart from knowing God's word. Number two, not only does a Christian have a desire for the things of God, but a Christian will use the Bible as a guide for the godly life. We can't just say, I'm going to be godly, I'm going to do the right things, and in our own strength and power get it done. And again, this whole psalm mentions words like word, law, statutes, testimonies, precepts, rules, commandments. Look at verse 1 again. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. The, the word walk is often used in the Bible to describe that journey, that walk of life, right? We're walking with the Lord. It's not a sprint, right? It's more of a long walk or a marathon. It's a long way to go. We walk with the Lord. And so as we walk with him, the Bible becomes to us a roadmap and a guide for the godly life. So how is it a, a guide? First, it tells us what to avoid. The Bible tells us what to avoid. Look at verse 3. He says, They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Does this mean that the godly are perfect? No, but they're not, you know, they're, they're striving for perfection or for maturity in Christ. They, they still fall short. We still fall short. But they're walking after righteousness. Look at verse 29. And again, there's so many of these. I'm just picking a couple. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. Remove from me this, this sin. It's telling us what to avoid. How about verse 133? 133, he says, Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. He's saying, guide me, lead me, and keep me away from the things I need to avoid, the sin. And I'm looking at these verses this week, and I'm pulling out a few more that I didn't mention this morning, and my thought was, and was, do you agree with this? 99% of the time, 99% of the time, we know we're doing wrong when we do wrong, I think. Maybe there's a 1% time, and maybe we just have one of those sins we didn't, whatever. Oh, I did that? But I think 99% of the time, we know right from wrong, and you can call it whatever you want to, right? You can call it, I made a list, negligence, a moment of weakness, stubbornness, rebellion, or ignorance. But the truth is, when we break God's law, for us, it's not an ignorance problem, it's 
just a sin problem. Because for most of us, we end up doing just what we want to do instead of what God's told us to do, what he told us to avoid. We tell our kids, don't we, as they're smaller, especially if you live like us next to a busy street, you tell your kids, hey, don't go across the, don't go by the road, right? Or if you're going to cross the street, what do you do first? Look both ways. We tell our kids, don't touch a hot stove, or you're only going to do it once, right? We tell our kids, don't stick a fork in a socket. We tell our kids, don't do this. When they get older, we say, wear your seatbelt. Don't speed, right? We, we don't go to this person's house or that person's house if, if they're a bad influence. We, we tell our kids all these things to avoid, and we do it for their own good because, why? We know what's best for our kid, and we love our kid, right? How much more so does our Heavenly Father love us, and how much more so does He know what's best for us? And so if He tells me that I need to avoid something, then I need to avoid that thing, right? He knows best, and He loves us. So His Word guides us by telling us what to avoid, what not to do, but it also guides us by telling us what to do. And don't miss this. This is important for us as believers. What do we do? And, and I'll just give you a few questions here. How do I live? Well, look at verse 30. How do we live? Verse 30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. How do we live? Following the way of truth. And what is truth? God's word is truth. I've chosen the way of truth, verse 30, and thy judgments have I laid before me. I've laid them before me, and I'm going to go that way. He tells us how to live. He tells us how to worship. Back in verse 7, he says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. He tells us how to live, how to worship, how to treat others. This is big. He tells us how to treat fellow church members, how to treat the men in the church, the ladies in the church, the children in the church. He tells us how to treat uh, pastors in the church. He tells us how to treat um, our spouses, our children, um, our, our parents, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. The Bible is so thorough on how we're to treat others that it even tells us how to treat our enemies, doesn't it? The Bible doesn't leave those things out. It tells us how to live, how to worship, and how to treat others which is so huge because for us, how we treat other people often becomes a reflection on Christ and the church. I heard someone this week say something about, not in our church, someone somewhere else say, you know, they weren't going to go to church basically because a Christian had hurt them in the past. And so how we act, rightly or wrongly sometimes, can affect people's view of who Christ is and what the church is. And of course, we want to have a good testimony in front of others. It tells us how to work. It says, do all things as you're doing them unto the Lord. So just as the Bible tells us what not to do, it also tells us what to do. But watch this. God, through his Holy Spirit and his word, doesn't just tell us what to avoid and what to do, but he helps us do it. He helps us accomplish it. And we know, what we know is, we can accomplish these things. We can avoid sin or do righteousness apart from his helping us. 105, verse 105 is what I entitled this sermon today. You've probably heard this verse before. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and it is a light unto my path. 
Uh, always read this verse and think about walking at night on a trail or something at night, and you, you can't see very far, right? If there's no light there, you can't see very far. But if you hold a lamp up, is it going to show you a mile down the path? It's not. Uh, just a lamp, right? It's not going to show you a mile. It's not going to show you half a mile. It's not going to show you 100 yards. A lamp's only going to show you probably a few feet, right? And I, to me, that's how God, God's Word works. As we follow it, He just shows us the next step and the next step. We don't always know it's going to be five steps later or ten steps later, but He lights up the path that we might know how to walk in it. So God's Word, and God helps us to walk in His Word. Look at verse 17 and 18. I'll flip back here. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So we depend on God to, verse 18, open our eyes. What a great verse, verse 18, would be to think before every sermon or every time you read the Bible. Father, open my eyes that I might see your truth. What a great thought of dependence and reliance on him. Let me give you another thought on this. Go to 63, verse 63. Just to show you how the psalmist hits so many different areas here. God helps us by his Holy Spirit, by guiding us with the lamp into our feet, by opening our eyes. But verse 63, he says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. And I read verse 63 and thought, wow, God not only helps us by opening our, our eyes through the Spirit, by being a lamp unto our feet, a road map, God helps us, again, by the people he surrounds us with, the companions we have in Christ. And so we are able to learn from each other, right? Again, Jason's Sunday school lesson this morning, he went a whole different route because of the discussion they had on Wednesday night in his group. Um, the rest of this week, as I prepared this sermon, I had some thoughts going on in my mind from what we did in our Wednesday night group as well. The, our companionship with other believers is so huge to help us know and follow God's word. That's why I would encourage you to plug in, plug in to the church as much, much as possible. So God helps us, let's see the next thing here, he helps us to know how to do it. Um, and I'm going to go to verse 2 there. Yeah, verse 2. To know how to do it, I want to point out something I noticed, in a little bit of a pattern here. Verse 2, look at the last part of it. Blessed are those that seek him with their whole heart. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. And again in verse 34. I shall observe your law with my whole heart. We do not obey God's word out of some external struggle and strife. We do it out of an inward faith in Christ. And we do it with a whole heart. Lord, help me with the new heart you've given me in Christ. Obey you. Letter E here. I noticed this as well. It especially helps us in suffering. The Word, God and His Word helps us in suffering, and that adversity in our lives brings growth. And You can look at these verses. In verse 67, he mentions this. In verse 71, he's thankful for suffering. 
And in verse 87, he's dependent on God, and he's not, his dependence on God does not depend on the situation. In verse 87, he says, I'm paraphrasing, basically, I'm, I'm making my own paraphrase here, but a Christian will serve God no matter what's going on. We don't allow the things of this world to push us down. Yeah, we, we might fall, we might stumble, we might doubt, we might fear, we might have seasons of, of trial, but as a believer in Christ, following the word of Christ, we don't ultimately fall because God keeps us going, right? He helps us persevere. The psalmist, by the way, was in trouble. Look at verse 170 near the end of this. And I read it throughout the psalm, but he says, Let my supplication come before thee, deliver me according to thy word. And we see it in other verses. He was, this psalmist was not just living a perfect, happy-go-lucky life, right? He was struggling in some areas, asking God to deliver him. So, God's word is a guide for our lives. Don't neglect the guide. Move to our next part here, which is our application point. I have three of these for you, kind of based on my study of this psalm. First, realize your sinfulness daily. It is a daily reminder when we wake up that we're li we live in a fallen world, right? You can know that, by the way, just because you wake up and you got some pain in your body, right? Or sometime in your day, you, you, have, you see something about a, a death or a sickness. And you're like, well, we live in a fallen world. But remember this, we are sinners, right? And only by the grace of God is our sin forgiven, washed away. Realize your sinfulness daily. And as I read the psalm, he did that. And he would say, Lord, I'm going to store your word in my heart that I might not keep sinning against you, that I might do better. Secondly, commit to follow God's word. Verse 8, he says, um, let me turn to it. With my whole heart, I will seek thee. Commit to follow God's word. I know who I'm talking to this morning, and you do, most of you do, all of you do. But maybe recommit this morning. Lord, help me to better follow your word. Finally, rely on him daily. Rely on God every single day. He is the source. He is the fountain. He's the fountain that quenches our thirst. He's the bread of life. He is our life. We've already read it, but verse 8, 17, 18, we see a reliance on him, a dependence on him. I didn't, I didn't point your attention to these verses, but verse 4, verse 124, and verse 149 say, God loves you. Knowing our Father loves us, guides us, equips us with everything we need to follow Him, that should help us to rely on Him every single day. Aiden has moved to college this week, right? So he's closer to y'all than he is to us, uh, location-wise. But he knows that we love him, right? And he knows if he needs something, he can... Call or text, right? And if it's a reasonable request, he might get it, right? He even knows, we've already had this conversation, some, some of you have had this conversation with him, he knows if he were to get in a bind and need some of y'all, he could call you up or text you up, right? Remember, God, our Father, 
who owns everything and can provide everything we need, whether it's something tangible or spiritual or whatever, we need to go to him with those needs, relying on him, depending on him, remembering that he cares for us. I started by saying, why should we make God's word a daily priority? And I'm going to close with this, this conclusion here. And I'm, I think this really can apply to some of us, myself and, and you. And I want to make sure we don't have any misunderstandings about what I'm saying when I say follow God's word or obey God's word, right? So if you are a Christian, you do not obey God's word to gain his favor. You do not obey God's word just to gain his love. You do not obey God's word so that you might receive a special blessing. And you do not obey God's word that you might somehow win eternal life for yourself. Right? Christ perfectly obeyed God's word, didn't he? Christ fulfilled every prescription of the law. Keeping the Ten Commandments and any other commandments you can find, Christ kept it perfectly. And he's the only one who's ever done so, right? And so we trust in him, the perfect one, and when we do, then we receive God's favor, God's love, and eternal life. Because God grants us that through his grace. Pours out that free grace on us, grants us repentance and faith. So if you are a Christian, you obey God's word because you love Christ, you love his word, and you desire to do what's right. Not all the time, not perfectly. God puts in us a desire to do what's right. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will prove it by keeping my commandments. Psalm 119, 67, we read it earlier. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Psalm 119, 47, For I find my delight in your commandments. My delight is in them, and I love them. And we're only able to love and obey God's word because he's made it that way. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 169, give me understanding according to your word. So my last thoughts, church. Trust completely in Christ. Rely desperately on his help to understand his word. And obey delightfully God's truth. Not because you think you're going to work your way to heaven or work your way to God's approval. Obey Him freely because you love the one who obeyed Him perfectly and then died in your place. We trust and obey 
because Christ did the work for us. So let's joyfully and delightfully follow Christ, our Savior. Let's pray.